This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm not sure if this counts as under the radar necessarily, but maybe not getting the attention it deserves. A lot of talk going on in Lansing right now about a big delay in billions of dollars in COVID funding coming from the federal government. We haven't talked a lot about why that's happening. Yeah, unfortunately, this is one of the things last week that we wanted to talk about, but we got derailed because there was all that news about Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky. So we decided this week we're going to dedicate the episode to figuring out what is going on with this delay. And we have brought in somebody who is super in the know. Craig Mogger is a reporter with the Detroit News. He is here with us today. Hello, Craig. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start off with just sort of real quick. Why should people be concerned about this delay in COVID-19 funding? People should be concerned about the delay because what's at stake here? And what's at stake here is $2 billion in funding for schools. This is money that could help get schools, more schools back to in-person instruction quicker and help them prepare for the next school year. They should also be concerned because this would fund money for vaccine distribution. This would fund testing and tracing for coronavirus cases, food assistance, rental assistance. All of these programs are tied up into this large supplemental spending legislation that's caught in a partisan fight in Lansing right now. So you mentioned the partisan fight. Tell us what is behind this delay. Why? I mean, you know, I think about uh, the fight just to come up with a billion dollars, $1.2 billion for roads. Why is it when the federal government is giving lawmakers these billions of dollars just to figure out how to spend? Why is it so hard to spend it? Well, it goes back a year, uh, a year. It goes back to the beginning of the pandemic in Michigan, where Governor Whitmer kind of made a decision at some point to start working outside of the legislature and issuing executive orders that are unilateral and doing this all outside the framework of kind of the normal legislative process, which um, she has, there are laws that allow her to do this, allow her administration to do, do this, but it led to a disagreement about how involved the legislature should be in these decisions. And now with the legislature not having much involvement, they look for any opportunity where they can try to influence what the governor does. They control the purse strings of government and how it works. And here you go. Here's an opportunity for them to have some influence. They get to decide when and how the money is spent. Now, I'm sure Republicans would not admit that a lot of this boils down to sort of a, an attempt to have some power after Whitmer has uh, essentially, you know, gone around them in a lot of ways, uh, rightfully so, because of the pandemic and use those powers because of the pandemic. Uh, but I guess, you know, what are they saying is their reasoning for not wanting to spend it? I mean, they're, they're not necessarily saying, hey, we don't want to spend the money. They're saying, hey, we need to deliberate over this. We need to have negotiations among ourselves and not necessarily with the governor. And we need to hold back some of this money so we can have more oversight over what happens with it in the future. And that's the key part of what you're talking about, Shana, is they want to hold back some of the funds. The governor's proposal is $5 billion. The House's proposal is $3 billion. The Senate's proposal is $2 billion. So you can see the amount of money the legislature wants to hold back, and they want to continue to be able to have say over what goes on with, this dollars into, with these dollars into the future. So their leverage will continue, essentially. 
So, Craig, I'm curious, um, have you have you looked into whether or not any other states are having these same kind of issues? I mean, you know, we're obviously not the only state that's getting federal dollars to respond to covid. Um, Are you aware of similar issues in other states as well? Yeah, I don't want to speak for knowing what's happening in all the other states, but I know there are multiple states, many states that have already rolled out this spending and agreed to how they're going to do it and have started getting these dollars out. Uh, Michigan is, is, is a state where we have this divided government and there aren't a ton of states that have divided government right now. So you have this situation where uh, the parties are able to both have power and are both able to feud over how to spend money, how to spend money for schools. Do you just give the money to the schools or do you put strings on it that you have to offer in-person instruction to get the, the funding for the schools? Michigan is in, in a somewhat unique position compared to other states. Now, I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there who are hearing this going like, what the heck? I mean, we've got this. You're telling me that there's money available for things like schools and COVID and vaccines and things like that. And we are not able to spend it. And then that Republicans want to spend less of it when it's essentially, you know, it's it's there for for the state to take. Is that what you're hearing from just sort of, you know, regular people? What what has been the reaction sort of outside of Lansing uh, to what is going on? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of a lot of readers that the messages that I get from people who are reading about this uh, fall in two camps. One camp being the camp of why aren't we spending this? The legislature needs to stop messing with the governor. That's definitely one camp. They need to stop playing what some people see as these political games and trying to just throw different hurdles in front of what the governor is trying to do. There's definitely another camp of messages that I get that say, way to go legislature. You're finally, you're finally doing something to stand up to the governor who has been you know, running the govern- government in some ways on big decisions unilaterally for, for months now and making decisions about how to respond to the pandemic within her administration. So some people are, are happy about the legislature intervening here and, and slowing it up. I mean, I think what's going to happen is the longer this plays out, the question is going to be, is the governor's team able to show people in real ways how this delay is affecting them? And so far, they have talked about the importance of getting the money out there, but some of those things about the vaccine distribution, about testing and tracing, they have not been able to draw a direct line to the delay two problems that are happening with responding to the pandemic. Craig, in that um, sort of vein, we're about to have more students going back to school in person than we have possibly during the pandemic, or at least for a long time. You know, we, we are dealing with a serious supply shortage for the vaccine as well. Those are two things that are very urgent, it seems like, that that are wrapped up in this, as you've mentioned. But talk a little bit more about what those dollars could do in those areas, especially as, again, we we look at uh, these these really, really big, significant sort of developments in in the in those two through lines with the pandemic. Yeah, I would go two places with, with that. Some, some very specific examples. When it comes to the vaccine distribution, the expectation is that in the coming months, we are going to see a lot more vaccine doses showing up in Michigan. So the question is, we're, vac- we're vaccinating a certain amount of people now. The governor's goal, I think, is 55,000 doses a day. Uh, we don't hit that a lot of days, but, but we've hit it sometimes. And as we do more 
distribution and administration each week going forward. The question is, how do you ramp that up? How do you get the money in place to have more people in, in across the state uh, distributing these vaccines? This money would help get those plans going, help figure out how to do this. When it comes to schools, yeah, there are a lot of schools, I completely agree, going back to in-person instruction right now. The question is, what does that look like? Like I know in my son's school, they're talking about going back on March 15th. They're going to do half days, four days a week. And that's, you know, there are different plans about how do you negate the spread of the virus within the classroom? Do you have shorter days? Do you have fewer kids in each classroom? Do you have, try to get more staff in to spread the kids out more? What does this look like? Well, the $2 billion in funding for schools would help schools figure out how to do that going into next school year. Do we need to hire more staff? Do we need more sanitation equipment? Do we need different types of supplies so kids can eat lunch in their classrooms and don't have to go to the cafeteria? Uh, all of these questions come back to, is money available to do this? Um, and the longer they wait to put this money out there, the questions continue about, will it actually come or not? So where are things at now and how is it looking for the future? That's a great question. So the Senate is supposed to take up a funding for their funding proposal next week. And then that's when we're going to have all of this come to a head. Does the legislature send a plan to the governor that the governor hasn't had no say in and basically say, accept this or veto it? And then the governor has to make a decision. Is it worth vetoing their proposal to try to get what I want? Or do I accept what they've given me? Because at least, hey, there's some money for schools. There's some money for businesses. There's some money for vaccine distribution. I mean, that's the decision that is coming in the near future, depending on how successful Democratic lawmakers are in trying to influence what's happening in the legislature. So there was big news uh, just not long before recording this podcast about a, a staffing change. Uh, and I just wanted to touch on it because um, although the you know staffing changes are usually pretty inside baseball, it really does sort of tie into a story that we've all been following. And uh, listeners of this podcast know we're we're a little Mike shirkied out in terms of how much we've had to talk about this controversy. But um, Mike, Mike Shirky, the Senate Majority Leader, a uh, Republican who's found himself um, in under a lot of criticism, under a lot of heat lately, uh, his spokesperson, Amber McCann, someone that the three of us know well from working in the legislature, uh, has left uh, his office and is going to Dana Nessel's office, of all place, the, the Attorney General, Democratic Attorney General. Um, Craig, you know, I'm, I'm curious what your initial thoughts are about uh, this. I mean, to me, it seems like um, one of the biggest sort of most shocking staffing changes that I've seen in terms of someone leaving uh, a party of one office and going to an, uh, an office of another party. Uh, very dramatic, especially because these two offices have been so combative. I mean, uh, you you tweeted out just today that uh, Dana Nessel essentially uh, was suggesting that the FBI should investigate Mike Shirky for um, for colluding or 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 meeting with militia groups, and then also Mike Shirky said uh, at some point that he wouldn't rule out impeaching Dana Nessel. I mean, these are two offices that have they've been very combative in the past. So you know, what was your reaction when you heard that news, Craig? I mean, I I was. I was completely surprised by the fact that she is, that Amber McCann is going to go work for Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
I mean, Mike Shirky and Dana Nessel are about as far apart on the political spectrum and and <laughs> and how they communicate in some ways as you can as you can get. I mean, mm-hmm. they're v- extremely far apart. They operate. I mean, they're both uh, very they're both outspoken, but they operate in totally different ways. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised that Amber uh, might want to leave Shirky's office because of all the problems that 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 are occurring. And he has got to be a very difficult person to work for when it comes to dealing with the media, because he has a kind of laissez-faire style of communicating with reporters. Uh, but it's completely shocking that she would go work for Attorney General Nestle. And it's going to be uh, fascinating to see how that relationship continues to play out. And another thought is, as you both know, I mean, Amber's worked for some difficult lawmakers previously who were all, you know, had different hurdles in communicating with the media. So this is this is pretty interesting. That's an understatement, Craig. I was going to say that's <laughs> a little mildly. But yeah. And, you know, like I, I was very surprised by the news as well. Um, but, you know, Amber was always an absolute champ to work with. Uh, I think Jake and I both were able to work with her when mm-hmm. uh, when we worked uh, for Michigan Public Radio Network. We definitely wish her the best. I mean, this is this is quite the quite the shakeup that that I think outside of, of Lansing, people are like, what? What? So if you're still listening to the <laughs> podcast about the hiring news of of a random person you're not familiar with, good on you. But I mean, it's it's definitely a very interesting move and one that I did not expect. Yeah, I had a, I had a, one of the interesting details too, is I had a, I had a Republican staffer send me a message today. And he said, if you think Senator Shirky uh, was pretty, was doing some strange things with Amber McCann, wait till you see what happens when Amber's not there. So that's going to be something to watch as well. What type of influence she had. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm guessing there's going to be even more of the uh, random appearances on talk shows and hot mics and Things like that. So I look forward to her tell-all book in the event that she ever <laughs> decides to write one because she's she's worked for some characters. Yes. Um, Craig, you're in Lansing. Jake's in Detroit. I'm in Grand Rapids. Uh, so I guess is there anything else going on in Lansing that you wanna wanna chat about? And I mean, catch us up. What's what's what else is going on down there? I mean, there's so much conversation about the budget right now. Uh, of course, you know th- there is going to be some major partisan fights happening in Lansing in the coming months over all of these appropriations. We have the supplemental. Once they get through that supplemental, hey, you know, it's not time to pop champagne. Now they have to figure out the budget for the state for the next year. And this is really where all of the fighting that we've seen take place since March 10th of last year is going to come to a head. Can they come together? Can Governor Whitmer and the Republican lawmakers find a way to come together to keep state government operating, to set a budget and to figure out how to get the state to recover from this pandemic? Because it's eventually going to end and they're going to have to work out these things. And the question remains of will that, you know, will they be able to get past these past wounds and work together to figure figure these things out? I mean, that's the question in Lansing that everyone's going to be watching. And, and not to keep going back to the Mike Shirky tape, but one thing that I think that really illustrates about all this is the is not just the relationships in Lansing. It's also about the relationships back home in the districts. I mean, Republicans, it seems like 
are under so much pressure to not work with the governor right now uh, for for a lot of reasons. But I mean, if you if you watch that tape all hundred, you know, hour and 20 minutes of it, like I did with a, a bowl of popcorn, it was like, you know, it, it really illuminates what Republican lawmakers specifically are dealing with in terms of constituents who are so hardline, it sounds like, on a lot of these things, which which adds such a such a major wrinkle in the incentive to actually uh, make any sort of compromise at any point. Yeah. And I don't I, in my time covering politics, I don't remember there being a contingent of lawmakers who are in more of a no win situation than these Republican legislators. And you can argue that a lot of this at least some of this is their own fault because they allowed some of the tension from their base to continue going without saying, hey, you know, the stuff you're saying about the election is wrong or some of these things you're saying about the pandemic is inaccurate. They allowed some of this tension to get going. So, I mean, that has to be said. But they're in an incredibly difficult spot where Democrats in their districts are definitely being critical of them and saying that you're not doing enough to work with the governor, you're not doing enough to take the pandemic seriously. And then they have the base of their party who say the completely opposite. You need to open the state up now and you're not doing enough to stand up to the governor. So if you take the Democrats and you take the base of their party, I mean, according to our polling that we've done this year, that's like 75 percent of people are just out to get like out to get you right now. So what do you do when you're in that position? And no matter what you do, you're going to face criticism. Craig Mauger is a Capitol reporter with the Detroit News. Always an exciting guest to have on. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us the updates. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in.